What's the deal with vitamin D? Some nutrients attract a lot of attention and promise. Vitamin D is one of those. Welcome to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. I'm Kathy King. Our guest today is Susan Allen, a dietitian, certified clinical nutritionist, and owner of Next Level Functional Nutrition Training for Dietitians in Tampa, Florida. Susan has worked in dietetics and integrative nutrition for the past 25 years. Today, our topic is vitamin D. Susan, welcome to the program. Oh, so glad to be here, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Let's start by having you review what vitamin D is and its mechanism of action. Vitamin D, as we know it as cholecalciferol, is made in the skin primarily from 7-hydroxycholesterol, and that's under the influence of UV light, sunlight, of course. It's also obtained in a lesser way in our diet, mainly from fortified products and fish oils. We can also obtain D2 from plant sterols. Vitamin D is then metabolized first to 25-hydroxyvitamin D. Of course, that's what we're measuring in serum when we're looking at status. That happens in the liver. And then the kidney primarily, but also other tissues as well, it gets converted to the hormone form or what we know as 125-dihydroxy-D. And it's this active form that performs the main functions, most notably, as we know, improving absorption of calcium and phosphorus. And it helps manage calcium in the blood, but also the bones, of course, and the gut even. And in general, it helps cells all over the body to communicate. We hear new information about vitamin D and its functions. Immunity, depression, osteoporosis. What do we need to know? Well, this is where it gets exciting because recent research is showing vitamin D isn't just about bone health anymore. Now we're seeing the likes of vitamin D related to support of immune function and muscle function, cardiovascular health, even respiratory health, anti-cancer effects, and even brain development. So inadequate levels of D are common in older individuals. We know that can be from Lots of reasons, lack of dietary intake, lack of sun exposure, reduced absorptive capacity, et cetera, et cetera. There's research in 2014 in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. It's basically showing that in older adults with a deficiency in D, that they are more prone to pro-inflammatory immune markers like higher levels of interleukin-6 and C-reactive protein. And of course, this puts them at higher risk for acute or chronic development of cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and of course, back to that cognitive dysfunction, very important these days as we're shining more of a spotlight in that area. It's also becoming more evident that anyone with autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis might also be screened for vitamin D status. There was a research back in 2009. This was an article in the Annals of New York Academy of Sciences. Interestingly enough, it showed support for the use of 125-hydroxy as a clinical marker in the autoimmune conditions. And even when we would see a normal 25-hydroxy, they showed in this bit of research that regardless of a low or normal 25, that the 125 was actually showing higher, and it had to do with the potential for bacterial 
influence on VDR receptor activity. So in other words, we weren't seeing as high receptor function and the active vitamin D was pooling. This would be significant because perhaps those are folks we wouldn't want to supplement with as much based on just the 25 hydroxy level. So that was exciting to see. I think, again, going back to that cognitive decline, this is something that's surprising for a lot of us. There's two recent studies in 2015, large prospective studies, that indicate low vitamin D concentrations are placing especially the older population at risk for cognitive decline. Now, of course, we need more research, and that's to really confirm that supplements are going to help with cognition. But I think that's a pretty exciting area. And the last thing that's new is a possible connection between vitamin D and COPD. This was also research done in 2015. And keep your eyes posted on that because, again, more research is needed to determine the clinical application of supplements, but that's very promising as well. Now that you've mentioned supplements, can you talk to us just for a second about what excess symptoms look like? Well, I'll tell you, the vitamin D toxicity is extremely rare. It's been observed probably with serum concentrations of 25-hydroxy greater than 150, but not much less than that. Signs of excess would be nausea, vomiting, poor appetite, possibly constipation, weakness, maybe weight loss. You might also see a rising blood level of calcium when there's too much vitamin D something to look for. You're listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. I'm dietitian Kathy King. And I'm speaking with dietitian and certified clinical nutritionist Susan Allen, and we're exploring vitamin D. Susan, I know diets are individualized, but what are general nutrition guidelines for increasing a person's vitamin D intake or exposure using natural sources? Fat-soluble vitamin D is naturally present in very few foods, unfortunately. It is added. It's fortified to certain foods. And of course, it's available as a dietary supplement. But first off, we have to know that getting exposure to sun is a good idea. That's our primary route. Not enough to burn, of course. (laughs) We don't want to have an increase for a risk of skin cancer. But about 15 minutes of direct sun daily usually does it for most people. What we do have to remember, though, is sunscreen will block this. And it ultimately decreases one's ability to obtain vitamin D from sun. So we do look at dietary sources as well, fatty fish like salmon and sardines, also certain mushrooms like portobello, and to a lesser extent, egg yolks. Egg yolks got a bad rap a long time ago. I think that myth is mostly dispelled these days, but still, these food sources aren't the mainstay in everyone's diet, so it's hard to get enough. Uh, We do look at fortified products like milk certain cereals, some cheeses, and juices to provide vitamin D, although the amount there, usually just enough to prevent rickets and other bone disorders. Also, there's two forms of vitamin D that are used in fortification, that vitamin D2 and vitamin D3, and research is showing us that the vitamin D2 form is less optimal than the vitamin D3. So one really needs to double-check the ingredient list to see, and it should be listed there which form is used. What level of supplementation is usually recommended? It's interesting because we used to be very conservative with our amounts. 400 units a day was sort of the general amount that we recommended, and as we research this further, we see that more is generally necessary. However, I think 
lately in the last few years, we've maybe overstepped the area. And I see some of my colleagues generally recommending five, even upwards to 10,000 units a day. The research is though pretty much showing that 800 to 1,200 units a day is more effective than 400 for sure. And that only in high-risk individuals and probably just for a short period of time to replete anything above 1,200, possibly 2,000 a day is probably not even as effective as the current recommendations, 800 to 1,200 a day. Can you summarize three to four points that you want us to remember about vitamin D? Vitamin D is more than just about bone health. That's the biggest, most important thing there. And we can't always get enough from food or sun, even especially as we get older. And what I hadn't mentioned earlier is we're learning much more about genomics these days and single nucleotide polymorphism, which are gene defects, which makes some people more vulnerable to vitamin D receptor activity or vitamin D metabolism. So as we evolve in that specialty, we can maybe better determine who's at higher risk. Lastly, because more research needs to be done on testing techniques and on supplementation in general, it's wise not to exceed more than 2,000 units a day on a regular basis for supplementation, except under certain circumstances of increased risk and maybe then only under supervision of the doctor or the qualified nutritionist. Susan, thank you for your nutrition insight on this very important nutrient. I want to thank you for being here. And thanks for having me. Our guest has been dietitian and certified clinical nutritionist Susan Allen. We've been discussing vitamin D. I'm Kathy King, and you've been listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thank you for listening.